0: Good morning everybody, welcome to North Haven, thank you for uh, those of you who are here and uh, those of you that are joining with us online, we've got a number of you as well, so thank you. Uh, we are um, going to be moving forward today in our seventh week, if you can believe that, uh, with our Acts series, 50 years, that we're, er, that's a long series, hope you guys are, are ready for that. 50 weeks uh, that we're doing through 2022 on the book of Acts. Um, But I want to, it's not even a detour, it is connected, but I want to give some time and spotlight to uh, what god's doing through our medical missions ministry here at north haven uh, some of you know ron if you don't you're going to get a chance to hear from him he and his wife colleen uh, work with medical missions um, in africa and um, primarily and they are partnering with north haven as to how that could be fleshed out even more here so ron you want to share a little bit about what you guys have been up to our
1: first slide uh, gentlemen And you know, what's missing here? Colleen. So Colleen is home sick in bed, and when she's sick in bed, she's really sick. She's a tough Irish uh, gal. So uh, anyways, we initiated uh, North Haven International Medical Missions with a banquet last fall. How many were at that African banquet in this group? That's great. And with our people on our live feed, you can raise your hands, too, in the first service of people. We actually had over 100 people from this church that came to that banquet. We couldn't even invite our friends, relatives, etc., because the tables filled the whole area. So that reminds us that we're scattered out here yet and converging back together progressively as we get by these pandemics. Looking forward to that time when we're more together. But uh, Clean and I have, uh, for 30-some years, worked half-time in the States and uh, uh, about half-time overseas supporting educationally projects, etc. with our medical uh, missionaries uh, around the world, mainly Sub-Saharan Africa. Next, please. Now, for those of you that were there, uh, there was $2,000 worth of African food and All of it was eaten. All of it was eaten. And uh, then uh, there was nearly $5,000 raised beyond that. What a great night. Clean and I have never opened that up for other people to be involved in our ministry, and we were so honored. So from that time to the next trip we took, uh, this church was responsible for saving the lives of 10 young kids getting heart surgery overseas, Medications, equipment, etc., training our medical missionaries, multiple things. So we'll have a banquet every fall and then we'll flesh out the stories so you actually know what you did. But you did a huge, uh, wonderful thing around the world. Next, please. Well, it kind of starts in our basement. This is re sterilization. Uh, Dr. Sarah Sidler is a, is a uh, PhD. Uh, uh, pharmacist so she knows all about sterile technique um, for the, some of these rare c- cardiac procedures overseas where we have a lot of rheumatic fever um, uh, causing rheumatic heart disease something we don't see in the States anymore but endemic around the world we have to have expensive equipment um, Mayo Clinic does about four of these procedures a year that's how rare it is in the States and multiple hospitals around the states collect this equipment. So with this re-sterilization project, uh, we were able to re-sterilize $70,000 worth of equipment to bring over to the mission hospitals to use on these kids. So that's an opportunity for people. We'll have sterilization parties periodically. Uh, We have brought teams overseas, people with electrical skills, uh, carpentry skills, et cetera to be doing that while we're working on human bodies. So there's a lot of opportunities, and we're especially interested in mentoring any young people going up through their careers where they might want to do a career in healthcare fields and love to have people like that on the trip to give them a vision. Next. So we we do 14, 15 hospitals through uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, but uh, both of these are in Kenya, uh, marked by the black arrows. And uh, the more northern arrow is Kapchuar um, Mission Hospital, a small 80 uh, bed hospital way up in uh, rural Kenya. Next. And here we are as part of our team planning these school and church based screening programs where we look for this disease early. We don't want to just go in there and operate on these valves, we want to catch the susceptible kids early on. Uh, treat them with monthly penicillin up to a certain age, and then they don't get the valvular problem. Next. And there we have Colleen in here with us, Uh, and uh, she and others always do the education for the kids before they come in. Next. And we line them up gender-specific, and we're starting a number of programs around the world where we can screen these kids and catch them early way up early in the disease process next uh, in soto uh, christian medic uh, mission hospital in southern ethiopia they're up to 10,000 kids screened currently and the model we use is the hospital chaplains and the church people in the area are involved in these programs where they can interface with the teachers, with the kids coming in with the medical teams. And that continues after we leave. Uh, For instance, here in Capsuar, the lady chaplains decided they're gonna be doing a course for uh, um, uh, young women growing up, purity issues, et cetera. Um, uh, There's a young uh, uh, dental missionary uh, as part of this that just sees the abscess tooth, and they, they don't see the prevention. So she's now invited to come back to the schools, sharing her faith as well as her professional career. So we, we love the holistic component of this. Next. And for this particular program, uh, if you were at the banquet, you would see echocardiograms and the details of what we do and what we look for. But uh, we won't bother you with that. We'll teach you a lot of cardiology next banquet. Uh, After three or four years, you'll be mini cardiologists, I'm sure. But uh, uh, if you're trying to screen 100,000 kids in an area, you better not do a 10-minute test. You better do a 60-minute test. So that's something we've developed overseas. Next. And just more close-up of that. And Colleen reminded me, don't show so many slides of screening with echoes. She's right. Next. Uh, going to another site, a school, right? And the energy when you get to these places. But you look at these young ladies, and three to four percent of them will have early rheumatic heart disease. Worldwide, three hundred thousand young people die of valvular rheumatic heart disease a year. Usually in their twenties or thirties. Eighty-five percent of those are women, and that usually occurs during childbirth, uh, when the heart is under major strain so you see all these nice young ladies this is where we want to intervene spiritually and medically next next and a lot of warmth there um and certainly we do get a lot of COVID exposure in that that setting but that is just fine next and uh, heading back home after a busy day next i'll just feature um one kid here um this is Perpetua with her mother, and she was found way up in rural Capsuar. And we screen the kids, and uh, she's really a smart school girl in school, doesn't play soccer or any sports, and they say, she walks slowly. Well, that worries us. And we take a look at her. She has advanced rheumatic heart disease. So her disease is bad enough without intervention. She'd die in three, four years, uh, or, perhaps in her early 20s, late teens, with her first pregnancy. Uh, And that's happening all over the world. We will return to that story in a moment. Next, please. Okay, now our team shifts down to the 1,000-bed public hospital. About 80% of our work is in mission hospitals, 20% in large public teaching hospitals that take care of the poor. And the young Kenyan doctors we're working with, half of them are devoted Christians, working in this place where they make less money than in private practice. Here's my team. Um, I'm transitioning from teaching these young cardiologists as part of the team and a couple nurses there to stepping back and then having these young cardiologists teach my Kenyan colleagues with me just as the old guy uh, for particular situations. Next. And at a setting like this, uh, they gather all the patients together that they think will benefit from this particular heart procedure, which is done with a balloon. And uh, we're screening those people now. I'm having a chance to teach what we look for, why this case is good, why this case is not good, which case can wait till the next time. Next. And this is the setting in the operating room where we Uh, around the patient we're making sure all the labs are good it's called a timeout but then we add a spiritual timeout and even though this is a public hospital there's no problem with that they're delighted Uh, a couple times we when we forgot to pray before the patient went under anesthesia they said wait a second wait a second we haven't prayed yet so you know starting a pattern uh, in that setting I think which is really good next and uh, Uh, We have some of my Kenyan colleagues uh, here in the front that are learning the procedure. Uh, And then actually a a Lebanese and an Indian uh, colleague behind, both trained at the Mayo Clinic. Um, So we're kind of an international team. And we're a mix of uh, Christians and pre-Christians on this team. So there's an additional chance for great evangelism there. Next. And... You know when you come to the banquet you get to see a lot of bloody heart pictures i just just put one quick one in here Uh, and uh, that's down at the groin a catheter going up into the groin and we pass this catheter up to the heart and puncture from one side to the next with an ultra long needle that's a little scary even for me Uh, and then uh, get to this narrowed valve that is going to kill this young lady next and for us that's a moment of beauty this balloon, which is normally deflated, has been put in the proper position in the valve and has cracked open that narrow valve where this patient will go from death in a few years to a full productive life, being able to have children, etc. cetera. And all 10 of them sponsored by this church. Cool. Next. And we get to work with a wonderful Kenyan staff encouraging spiritually, teaching medically, learning from them. Next. Colleen again. She's the glue all around this process. These patients are really sick when we're working on them. Um, Colleen, I need 200 micrograms of phenylapherin stat. She draws something up, and it's always right. <laughs> so she's, she's key for us, and she's training others to do what she does. Next. And encouraging in between next uh, at banquets we'll talk about some past patients we're leaving March 13th for about another month in Kenya with another team uh, and we'll be able to tell you some good stories there uh, here's a pregnant mom uh, with a horrible heart she actually doesn't look all that sick but oh, pardon me oh just feedback uh, with a horrible heart uh, and uh, uh, she didn't know she was pregnant. She just missed one period. Uh, we do a pregnancy test on all of these folks before they get radiation. So two lives saved. Unlikely would she have survived this pregnancy and certainly might have survived with a C-section, but not further down the line. And now she has a perfectly functioning heart. Next. Oh, we'll end with Perpetua, 13 years old. Uh, she didn't have any of the... Little local low level insurance. So, through funds from this church, we were able to get her uh, in with the group too and uh, uh, make sure that she got her heart fixed. We'll get to see her again uh, in March when we're back in this part of the world. So, thank you very much. And uh, we'll have another wonderful banquet in the fall. That's the only time we raise money. And it's just for the patients, not for us. We fund ourselves. Uh, And bless your dear hearts and those of you interested in sterilizing, coming on these trips, etc., we'll chat over coffee.
0: Thank you so much, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Fantastic. Uh, Ron and Colleen um, have hearts for the Lord and a desire to serve Him in ways that He calls them to, a courageous uh, perspective in that regard. And so uh, certainly I'm thankful for their leadership and their uh, guidance in this venture and would um, uh, look forward to how that's going to unfold here over the years to come. As I mentioned, we're seven weeks now into a 50-week series in which we're going through the entire book of Acts. And last week, Pastor Aaron, our next-gen pastor, uh, shared while my family and I, we were on vacation... And uh, he led us through an incident that happened in chapter 3 of Acts. And basically, what, what transpired was Peter and John, two of Jesus' uh, disciples, uh, healed somebody who was unable to walk. And then all of a sudden, he was able to walk. I mean, this was a big, big deal. And the Jewish officials at the time, they, they took notice And not only did they take notice, but they had big problems, not only with Peter and John going out there and healing people, but then maybe even more so, them talking about this guy Jesus. This guy Jesus, who died on the cross and then, presumably, according to them, rose from the dead. And they were then, Peter and John, were equating Jesus with God Himself. Now, the Jewish officials, they had big issues with this, and so they went out and arrested Peter and John, and they uh, had them stay in basically jail overnight, and then the next day, they brought Peter and John in front of them, and they began to question them. If we look at verse 7 of chapter 4, it says this. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, And they said this, they asked, by what power or what name did you do this? By what power or what name did you do this? So basically, they recognized that this miracle took place. This man who wasn't able to walk, everybody knew that he was unable to walk, was now inexplicably able to walk around, jump around, run around, Okay, that happened. They can't deny it. Yet, their biggest issue was the name by which they were claiming Peter and John to be able to have done this in the first place. And so in verse 12, in response to their question, Peter and John said this. They said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And what name were they proclaiming? The name of Jesus. Jesus being the Son of God, God Himself, God in the flesh, that was the name that Peter and John were proclaiming. Now, the Jewish officials, the Sanhedrin, the high priest they, they did not like this. Um, and it says that uh, you know, they were looking for ways to accuse. And um, if we were to look, read through uh, verses 13 through 22, what we would end up seeing in chapter 4 there is that after they questioned them, they would dismiss them and then begin to talk amongst themselves. What are we going to do with these guys? And then they brought him back in and they said, hey, listen, you can believe what you want to believe as long as you don't say anything about it. Now, Peter and John, they obviously weren't going to have any of that. In chapter four of Acts, in response to that, uh, Peter, he says, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. What I really want to hone in on, on our time here together, we're going to do something a little different here in just a little bit, uh, so bear with me. But what I really want to dive into is verse 13 of chapter 4. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Here it is on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, this is when the Jewish officials have brought Peter and John before them and are set to question them, and this is what it says. When they saw, that is the Jewish officials, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus." So we notice that we're going to keep that passage on the screen. We notice a few things here. One is that it was clearly evident, these Jewish officials, they didn't know Peter and John. They didn't know, they didn't have a relationship with them. But as these two men stood before them, two things were abundantly obvious. The first being that they were unschooled. And the schooling that they're really talking about is they, they clearly weren't somebody who grew up in the rabbinic tradition, you know, learning the, the, the Old Testament. We know it as the Old Testament, but that would have been their scripture at the time. So uh, people who weren't in that circle swimming in that water, it was clearly evident to, this, to the officials as, as Peter and John stood before them. What was also very evident is that they were ordinary There was really nothing special about them. As Peter and John stood before these officials, they didn't see two um, large figures that they should look up to or be uh, nervous around or afraid of. No, they saw two unschooled, completely ordinary people. But then there's something profoundly important that is mentioned as well. If we look again here at 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, that they were ordinary, and then they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the key right there. The last part of verse 13, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These officials, these these Jewish officials, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, they saw with their very own eyes that these two men standing before them, Peter and John, as ordinary as they were, as unschooled as they were, they had been with Jesus. They noticed that Peter and John, based on their complete Presence saw that their identity was in Jesus alone. That was evident. So it showed. How did it show? Well, first, Peter and John unequivocally knew who they were and then who they belonged to. There was no denying that. And secondly, it showed because these two men had spent time with jesus they'd spent time with jesus they'd spent time with jesus long before they would then stand before these jewish officials accused And here's here's the really important part. The reason Peter and John knew that they belonged to Jesus, the reason they had intertwined their identity with Jesus was because they had spent time with him. Their identity with Jesus was so intertwined with his that nothing would cause them to waver, not persecution, not societal pressure, not temptation, not threats. I want to go back in time because what this reminds me of, and and maybe it reminds you of this as well, is someone that that we would probably put in a hall of fame of Christians, Uh, Moses. I mean, you don't even have to have grew up in the church to have heard of Moses and heard some of his stories but in Moses' chapter or I'm sorry in Exodus chapter 34 after Moses has been given the 10 commandments we read this in verse 29 it says this when Moses came down from mount Sinai with the two tablets the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord So it states here that Moses' face was radiant with the glory of God. It shone upon him. It was clearly visible. So why do you think that was? What would cause his face to shine like that? What would cause his face to radiate in such a way that it would be obvious to others? It's obvious. It's because he spent time... With God. See, this is the point in the message when you and I need to we need to hold up that reflective mirror and begin to assess our own lives because you and I change when we spend time with Jesus. When we spend time with Jesus, our identity becomes synonymous with his. It becomes interwoven into his identity, and then it shows. It becomes so obvious to everyone else. And it doesn't stop there, because just like Peter and John, when we spend time with Jesus... And then our identity becomes intertwined with his. And our very existence then reveals that glory of God, that Jesus in our face to everyone around us. Nothing will cause us to waver. Not a virus, not political turmoil, not societal pressures, not division. Nothing. You see, despite our ordinariness, when we spend time with Jesus, we become a changed people. The glory of the risen Jesus, it overcomes the ordinary. Look at this passage from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. No matter what the circumstances that surround us, peace is ours for the taking. Peace is obtainable. It's obtainable for those who spend time with Jesus. Peace is obtainable for those then that see their identity solely in him. And peace then is obtainable when the glory of God shines on our face to all of those around us, when it becomes obvious, everyone will notice it. So do people see Jesus? Do you shine Jesus? If we commit ourselves to this, we we will find that we are not alone. Millions all over the world are committing their lives to spend time with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Millions across the world are committing themselves then to, to see their identity solely and completely in him. And as a result, so many more are seeing the light and glory of Jesus shine on the faces of those who serve him. I have to thank Pam uh, Barnes for sharing this video with me, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to end the service today with something that I hope will inspire you as we consider that passage from Numbers. Check this out.
2: Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: Not alone. Would you stand with me as we share together this statement that we do as we close our services? We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus's witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.